And then taking that content and reusing and repurposing that content, not being afraid to take a different spin of that content. Posting the same thing exactly is a bit frowned upon, but taking a new spin on the same thing, that's absolutely fine. It's repurposing is is a core part of our strategy. So 20% of our content should always be repurposed, really. So that helps us understand and leverage some of our best performing stuff, which once again, that's going to speed up the content creation process. Welcome back to the Audience Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Hutchison. And today I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Andy Lambert, one of the co-founders of Content Cal. Now, if we've ever had a conversation about social media marketing or content creation, you will probably already know that Content Cal is my tool of choice. I absolutely love it because it has saved me hours and hours of time every single week, ever since I started using it. I use it to create and share my own content and I also use it when I'm working with clients and they love it too. Andy is an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to marketing and social media and I think you're going to get a lot from today's episode. So I'm delighted to welcome Andy Lambert of Content Cal to today's episode. So welcome to the Audience Growth Podcast, Andy. Thank you for joining me today. Could you give us a quick introduction and a brief outline of who you are and what you do, please? I'm Andy Lambert, one of the founding team members and director of growth for this company called Content Cal. Content Cal, one of my absolute business must-haves. Content Cal has saved me hours every single week since I started using it. Is that something you hear all the time? That's definitely the ambition and it fills me with joy to hear it, Nikki. That's for sure. So honestly, I'm such a fan because I feel like not only does Content Cal obviously do what it's supposed to do, which is schedule the content, but the way that it's mapped out and the way that you can see everything visually, it removes a step for me, really. So previously to using Content Cal, I was using spreadsheets because I hadn't found a tool that could do what I wanted it to do. And just being able to get rid of those spreadsheets and do absolutely everything. So create the captions, upload the visuals, amend the captions is just revolutionary. How did you spot this gap in the market that people, small business owners like me, needed this tool? So yeah, I can't be credited with the initial idea. I'm one of the founding team members, but Alex, who is the the guy that initially came up with the idea, he can be credited with it. The gap came through, like most software and innovations come through, it's from like living the problem from a first-hand perspective. And actually, when I initially joined Content Cal as well, we were just an agency. So we were creating social media strategies and content plans on behalf of others using, as you say, Nikki, spreadsheets. So when you've lived that pain, it puts you in a much better position to build a product to solve that pain. So really, it's nothing hugely groundbreaking other than thinking there's got to be a better way to creating a plan in a spreadsheet than manually taking each of the pieces of content that you've planned in a spreadsheet, sent to your clients for approval, etc., gone backwards and forwards on email, and then taken that copy, the caption, the, the asset, and then we're putting it in Hootsuite and Buffer and those kind of tools. And you're just like, mm, well, that feels a very disjointed process. So surely all of that needs to be put on rails because planning 
creation, publishing is all part of the same workflow, yet no tools were really considering the whole workflow, only considering social media marketing from the context of the point of publishing. But as we know, as content creators ourselves, all the time and the effort that social media takes is all in the ideation and the creation piece. So um, there were no tools addressing that. So that was our space. And how difficult is it to convince people of how good Content Cal is before they use it? The reason that I ask this is, as you know, I use the system for some clients as well. And I recently onboarded a new client and she was quite happy with her system that she was using before. And I had to be a little bit insistent and say, no, no, we are definitely going to use my system because I know you're going to love it. And she absolutely loves it. But it was a bit of a struggle to convince her that there was a better way. Is that a hurdle that you've come across before? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Behaviour change of any kind is super hard. So some ways to solve it has always been if people are using existing tools or have existing constructs in their mind that you can connect together, that people get it. In the same way that so many new software providers will say, oh, we're like the Uber for X or whatever. Just when you put those constructs together. So for example, lots of the market that we're going after used Trello as well as spreadsheets. And they're familiar with tools like Buffer and Hootsuite. So basically, I said, think of Content Cal as like Trello and Buffer smashed together. And then suddenly it gets people immediately thinking, all right, well, I like the whole visual nature of Trello, how I can drag and drop little cards about. And I know what Buffer does. So, oh, that makes perfect sense to me. So that's the kind of connection we wanted to make in people's minds. And of course, when you step back and get people to reprogram their thinking around what a social media management tool should do, then it starts to make a lot more sense. Because like I already said, if you think about social media management from the point of publishing and then analysing the content, you know, and engaging with the comments that come back, that's pretty easy to understand. It's well known, it's a well served market, and it's an all important stuff to do. But when you start to help people understand, like, how long does it take for you to come up with an idea? How long does it take for you to have that idea and generate that through or bring that through to a bit of content that you've created. That's the thing that's really difficult to do. And then how do you match all that together to say, you know, what content are I going to put out on each day and when and what topic is it related to? All of that stuff around a content strategy is so essential to getting the right results. So all we had to do was kind of lean heavily on our narrative because you know, the narrative was a true one because we truly believed it because we've lived and breathed building content strategies and content plans, etc. So it was a process of education of like, why should you care about your content strategy? Why should you care about your target audience? Why should you care about your process for ideation and bringing content to life? Because ultimately, if you get that bit right, everything else, your results, etc. will all go up. So um, yeah, repositioning. And just as a final point on this, because this goes into kind of like a go-to-market slash business strategy, is that typically whenever you're approaching a new business and you're creating a new innovation, you've got three different approaches you could take. You're either entering a brand new market, so you're either going after something that's completely greenfield that no one's done before, right? So going back to the example of like maybe Airbnb or Uber or something like that. So completely greenfield, you need to educate from scratch and build right from ground level. Or you go after an existing market. 
And you go after it with a different dynamic. Maybe you're a lower cost player. Maybe you differentiate by your level of customer service. Maybe you differentiate by your go-to-market strategy. Either way, you're going after an existing market just with a slightly different dynamic. Or you do what we did and the approach that we took at Content Cal, we re-segment a market, which means repositioning a market to focus on something else. Yes, we're in the social media management category, but... Have you ever thought about how much time's wasted in the bits that happens before you put your content out there? That's the bit that's really difficult. That's the bit you really need to get right. And that's the bit you should think about. And that's the kind of resegmentation and the education we need to do in this market to, you know, it's a long way of answering your question, Nikki, but basically to get people's mindsets in the whole concept of rethinking their existing processes of how they bring content to life. And so how do you get these messages out? How are you attracting new users now? So yeah, now is very different to how it started. So when it started, oh, it's unglamorous, basically, which is just cold outreach, right? So there's nothing more interesting than that, than reaching out to anyone that we thought might care and talking about this problem, this concept with people, right? So we call that process customer discovery. So where you're having like one-to-one conversations around the concept of the business and what you're out to achieve to see how that resonates with individuals. It's an incredible learning process when you do that kind of one-to-one interview process with potential customers because it gives you so many rich, interesting insights which helps shape your marketing and your positioning. And honestly, it's something that so many marketers get wrong because we like sit in a room and think, oh, how should we explain it and position it to our end customers? Who's our target audience? Let's make a persona doc. Well, that's fine. But actually, if you just went and spoke to some people, all of those questions get answered straight away. Yeah, as marketers, we tend to overcomplicate things with frameworks and models, etc. We just need to speak to people. (laughs) Yes. It's really not complex. I come from a strategic planning background in agencies and 50% of my role was going out and speaking to people. So that's definitely something that I live by today in my business. Awesome. And now it it really pleases me to hear that. But it's shocking how many marketing departments I speak to that literally they're the furthest removed from customers across the whole of their business. And marketing should be the absolute closest. There's no center of excellence in the marketing teams I speak to of like being the voice of the customer, being the customer expert. And that's something that we've wanted to instill from day zero at Content Cal. You know, you are only as good as your customers. You are in servitude of your customers. So um, yeah, front and center. Anyway, so that's the customer discovery process. And we wanted to make sure that whole discovery process, that closeness to customers existed throughout the whole course of our lifespan at Content Cal remain core to the marketing function. As time evolved, we then let in heavily into educational content because everything that, you know, that I've spoken about for the last kind of 10 minutes or so has all been about education around repositioning and rethinking about how should we consider our content more holistically? How should we build our plans? What process should we put together for coming up with ideas, etc.? Because all of that, you know, there's so much rich content in all of those challenges Because throughout the whole customer discovery process, we understood all of the challenges that people were battling with, the amount of time it takes to come up with content, why they can't get the rest of their team to share ideas with them, you know, why they feel siloed, you know, as a social media manager or a content marketer within a business. All of those things are interesting pain points of which we can bring to life through educational content, of which we had five key formats for that. So we went big on webinars Our blog was key for our SEO strategy. So SEO is one of our main drivers of traffic. 60% of all of our leads are organic. 
We went big into what we call short courses, which are like 15 minute kind of expert sessions where I might interview someone like yourself, Nikki, to give like your best practice tips on a certain thing. Everything broad from building a audience persona or a content strategy to SEO, the broad gamut of digital marketing. And all of that was underpinned by our academy. So all of that structured learning all of that kind of learning we, we put together on those different formats all came into one structure in this academy. So it kind of like puts some accreditation behind the process of learning and puts it in a bit of a pathway. What's become very interesting for me, it's quite heavy lift doing an academy process, but what has become very interesting and fascinating bit of like human psychology is how driven people are to hit an accreditation. So yeah, the completion rate of like all your courses and all of your webinars go up as soon as you put like, you're going to get a certificate at the end of this. Such a fun insight. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. It's in a whole kind of gamification of things. People like to feel that they've achieved something after doing something for obvious reasons. So yeah, all of that conspired to create a really rich content strategy that leaned heavily on educational focused content. Of course, all of this was promoted through our social channels, Facebook group, etc. But realistically, that's the thing that drives our inbound lead flow. So as I said, 60 to 70% of all of our leads come through organic channels, the 30% are through paid channels. And a quick glance at your LinkedIn profile, and it becomes very clear that as one of the founding teams of Content Cal, you and the team have won multiple awards, scaled businesses, raised investment, and a whole lot more. Is there anything specific that you think has been key to your success? So yeah, interesting question. And firstly, I think the word success, actually, it feels quite loaded. And I wouldn't actually class myself as successful purely in the basis of doing this, building Content Cal, that is. It's caused me to sacrifice so much other things in my life. So to class it as successful doesn't actually feel right to me. I've hit goals for sure, but success is still something that I'm working towards. And for me, success means more freedom than I've had over the last five years. Yeah, just interesting thought on success. But what's kind of helped hit goals, though, has been, I would say, kind of rituals, daily rituals. So, for example, getting up at 5 a.m., every single day and doing the same things that I need to do every day, even when it's like, I can't be bothered to do this. I can't be bothered to suddenly scour Facebook for every mention of Content Cal and reply to every conversation about social media. But focusing it in a ritualistic way creates a habit and habits are super powerful. Habits are very hard to break. And once something becomes a habit, then it just feels like a natural flow. And it's amazing, like just habits alone, doing it for a week or two is not going to make a difference. But when you do it and multiply it over five years, then suddenly something becomes very, very significant. So like the habit at like 5 a.m. in the morning would be, you know, reaching out to some other influential industry people that I want to have conversations with, replying to every mention message across social for Content Cal and our broader category thinking of what's next for our growth, because that's the whole purpose of my role, which has been from a tactical and strategic perspective, thinking about new areas and avenues we can use to grow our business, testing them out, proving them out. And once that model's been proven, hiring a team to scale it. So that requires a lot of kind of like creative thought process, a lot of reading that happens to try and understand what opportunities am I missing? What opportunities are out there? I would say that multiplied, just that kind of ritualistic approach multiplied 
is a force multiplier over a very longer period of time. For me, it's the thing that separates those that tend to hit goals, go on to achieve lofty things. Because there is no hack, there's no shortcut, there's no like, oh, tell me these top three tips. It's not, it's really just coming down to, I would say discipline, but it's actually more than that, it's, it's ritual. That's really interesting what you said about sacrifice. And to me, success equals freedom as well. But it's interesting what you said about sacrifice. That is exactly the same as I interviewed Gavin Quirk, who is in a very senior role at Netflix in LA on episode three. And he said exactly the same thing. He said, there have been a lot of sacrifices that maybe not everybody would have made to get to where he's got to as well. And in terms of the habits, the 5am thing, yeah, I was in that habit for a good couple of years. I've now got out of that habit. My dog started sleeping in. (laughs) And that spoiled things. It got me right out of my habit. But listening to you, I'm thinking, yeah, I remember that time in the morning. It's so, so productive, isn't it? So I would like to get back into that habit. I'd like to know though, Andy, is that seven days a week or do you give yourself a break at the weekend? I do give myself a break at the weekend, but for some reason, I'm going to start bringing 5am back to the weekends again because I feel incredibly lethargic if I sleep until seven. I've got young kids, so sleeping past seven is definitely not a possibility. It's weird, I actually feel more lethargic the more I sleep, which is very counterintuitive. But still, I'm busy writing a book at the moment, so it's actually quite handy having that amount of energy when you wake up. The counter to that is that I need to close my eyes at like 9.30 in the morning, much to the consternation of Mrs. Lambert, because, yeah, I'm falling asleep in front of the TV at half past nine. So there is a counter to my strategy. (laughs) You can't have it always, can you? (laughs) So you share really great social media tips on LinkedIn every week. Have you always been interested in social media marketing? I've always been interested in new tools to facilitate business growth. I've only ever been in business to business marketing and sales. So I've always been interested in channels that maximize reach and increase leverage. Having come from like a sales background, which is just kind of like obviously one-to-one marketing as I typically see it as, social media immediately, you know, from 2008 onwards, appealed to me as something to maximize leverage. And that's been the thing that's interested me. I've definitely, throughout the course of Content Cal, got more interested in the dynamics and the nuance and the goings-on within social platforms. I mean, you can write numerous soap operas within that anyway, as anyone that's seen the social network will attest. But yeah, I think it's essential for what we do now, but it's always been an area of interest for me. And I think we're undergoing some incredible shifts in the world of social as we're at the kind of burgeoning area of Web3 of which if you think Web2 was all about ownership of content from a platform level, there's, as we know, growing distrust in Facebook and the rest of the the big tech platforms. The push towards blockchain is pushing ownership of content back to the creators of that content, which is going to mean new platforms will succeed. Creators will begin to monetize their content better. It's going to mean a change in advertising models because we're going to move away from the attention economy as the attention economy is what we've been living in as marketers for the last 15 or so years. That's going to shift into the, the creator economy, which is already a 90 billion industry, 90 billion dollar industry. And for me, like the constant shifts are sometimes painful because it's like a lot of cognitive load to deal with. It's like, 
you know, just when you think you've cracked something, something's changing. You have to be comfortable with change. It is painful sometimes, but it's just the opportunity is constantly changing. And that's the bit that's particularly exciting. So do you have any favourite sources for staying up to date with this ever-changing landscape? Favourite sources, there's, well, one Facebook group I would recommend everyone becomes a member of just to talk about like social media updates and changes. That is Matt Navarra's Social Media Geek Out. Matt's a great guy. And um, yeah, lots of detail come your way on that one. Social Media Today is probably the only website I follow in terms of social media news and updates. Get a daily digest from Matt with about like five key news topics. That's enough to keep you up to date. And other than that, there's lots of other kind of different places that I just have a Twitter alert set up for anything talking about Web3 and the metaverse, just because these are two areas that have such huge consequences for any business operating in this space. I wouldn't recommend that typical small business owner needs to concern themselves with Web3 and the metaverse right now, other than some kind of cursory understanding. But yeah, for someone that operates in a space like I do, knowing what the next horizon looks like is essential because suddenly you'll find that your sands have shifted and your business is no longer relevant. And that's a a thing that very much keeps anyone working in tech, in social media up at night, that's for sure. Absolutely. So do you have a favourite social media platform right now? For me personally, I'm still a huge fan of LinkedIn, purely on the basis of the organic reach you get. I personally enjoy the type of content because I'm typically on social for educational reasons. So I find more educational content there. I am on TikTok an increasing amount, purely in the context of more curiosity than anything else and seeing where trends are going. Shared any videos yet? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I have purely from testing purposes. So I've just been using my normal social media update videos and sharing them to TikTok and seeing how they perform. Interestingly, actually, just as a side note, did a little experiment because it was a nice kind of level playing field of starting with fresh Instagram account and used Reels as a way to promote the regular videos that I do, which are like three minute like updates on, on social, as you know. So tried that on Reels and tried it on TikTok, both of which I'd had no followers on at that point. And the views on Reels was about 30 across like five different Reels. And the views on TikTok was over 3,000. So you're like, you see where the organic reach is coming from. So I'll always gravitate towards the platforms where, like going back to the point I said earlier about like leverage, maximum leverage is going to come through maximum organic reach. So yeah, hence the reason I'll always gravitate to the ones that are providing incredible reach that you don't necessarily have to run ads to receive. And that goes back to the shifting sands of social is that you might build a Facebook strategy, but you might discover the next day that Facebook have throttled any degree of reach that you get. Like, like at the moment, I'm interested to hear any thoughts that you have on this, Nikki. It's like, well, average engagement rate is like 0.07% on Facebook now. It just doesn't seem to make sense from an organic strategy. So yeah, we've kind of pulled away from Facebook pretty much. So just a constant ever-evolving shift in channel strategy. Are you finding that's the same in your group or just on your page? More reach comes from the group. To be honest, we're not the best example because our group, you know, if I'm critical of myself, I didn't give it enough attention. I should have done more to foster engagement. And once engagement starts to struggle, you struggle for reach as well. Our average reach is about 79 people per post, which is it just doesn't make sense at that scale. Well, like yeah. I said, continue to post content there because it does no harm. But fundamentally, you know, when you're looking at what do we need to do to maximise our leverage, Facebook is not the place. 
Yeah, it's completely changed for me as well. Facebook used to very much be the place for me, but my page now, I'm exactly the same as you. And of course, Content Cal makes it so easy. You create content for a key channel and then you can just duplicate it and tweak it slightly for another one. So my Facebook page is definitely not my focus anymore. And like you, I get better results in my group, but I have to constantly work hard at that to try and get the engagement going because it's not as easy as it used to be. It's not. And that's the reality of what we're dealing with. But, you know, that's where kind of the having 20% of our time around experimentation can be really useful. You know, just opening up a bit of opportunity to go, right, how could TikTok work for me? And start to experiment with that or YouTube shorts. There's no shortage of opportunity where the platforms are going to be focused on giving organic reach to new formats that they're introducing. Absolutely. But I do think you need to be an early adopter of these new formats to get the most benefit from them. Yeah, 100% you do. Definitely. So recently you have been acquired by Adobe. Are there any mixed feelings having been part of the team who built Content Cal from the ground up? Good question. So yes, because there will be change internally over time, because like any form of acquisition or any form of change, any form of like integrating two businesses together over time, there will be change for sure. And change is always like, whether it's good or bad, it's not comfortable for lots of people. So there's the kind of mixed feelings there. And that's more from an internal perspective. Although that being said, it's kind of outweighed by the opportunity that exists of Content Cal within Adobe, both for our employees being part of, you know, moving from like a startup slash scale up business with all of the uncertainty that comes with that to top 30 largest companies in the world and a top 25 best employer. You know, that's pretty amazing. And the opportunity of what they're looking at doing with Content Cal is enough that's kept me excited because, you know, I'm staying on, I'm not going anywhere. Not unless they tell me to, to exit stage left <laughs> at any point, of course. But I think it's just the next stage of the journey. One of the biggest challenges facing, you know, small businesses and individuals, because that's really where the focus is for Adobe and Content Cal right now, we're very much aligned on that, is that there's still a huge gap in the market for small businesses and individuals to maximize their leverage on social. And that's the market we're going after, of which Content Cal already made strides into that. But then combine that with Adobe's creative power, then that's an incredible story because going back to all of the stuff I said right at the start about, you know, how to build a content strategy, the importance of creating a plan and audience targeting and all that stuff. Align that to, I forget how many templates that they have, but, you know, all of that stuff that will allow you to bring content to life so much quicker, lower the creative barriers. And for me, that's a huge piece of solving the social media puzzle is lowering the creative barriers to individuals. And the big win, the final thing I'll say, just before I go on a massive tangent, is like (laughs) the thing that we're really focusing on is what class is results-driven guidance. So once you started putting stuff out into the world, pulling back the information to help you truly understand what worked and what hasn't, and rather than just present you a page of analytics, which most, Mm -hmm. most tools do, including us today, actually say, when you come to create your next post, did you know you should have these hashtags? This topic did well last time. And you should post on these channels because you got more reach than you did over the last previous two weeks. Now, that is a huge unlock. A lot to do to realise that, but it gives you a feeling for the ambition. 
there's a lot of guesswork that happens in the world of social, even though, you know, you and I, we're strategists, you know, we're deep in the numbers, there still is best guess. So we want to try and take as much guesswork out of it. Brilliant. I always talk to my clients and my audience about going detective mode and really encouraging people to go deep with the analytics. And that is just next level what you're talking about. It's going to make it so much easier and more accessible for people. Yeah, I love detective mode. Love that. I might steal that one. That's all right with you, Nikki. (laughs) Feel free. (laughs) So, Andy, would you say, do you have any key people or experiences that stand out as having helped you along on your career so far? Yeah, too many to list. Number one will be a person I met in my my previous role who became my mentor and became the chairman of Content Cal, a guy called Colin Smith. He was responsible for connecting me with Alex, who was the the guy, like I said at the start, uh, credited with the idea of coming up with Content Cal. He's a CEO. So without meeting Alex, then none of this would have happened. So finding those people that like to connect other people together are just, mm. you know, they're worth their weight in gold. And yeah, cling on to those people in your lives because it's the most unselfish act you could ever offer for someone, like connecting them with someone else. So that was absolutely transformative for sure. And then there have just been a whole bunch of individuals that have been key in our journey. And there's two that are call out from the very early days. A guy called Paul Ince, who runs an event called Marketed Live, one of our earliest customers at Content Cal and became, you know, our first advocate, if you will. What's his nickname? He has a nickname. Yeah, Biz Paul. Biz Paul, that's it. (laughs) I saw him at Atomicon. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I thought you might know of him. So brilliant guy. And as soon as anyone advocates for your business, cling to them. So we wanted to do as much as we could to help Paul as well. So sponsoring his event, doing whatever we could to support his event in the early days, because his advocacy meant a huge amount, because really all we're trying to achieve, if we cut through all of like, you know, the complexity of social media, all we're trying to achieve is word of mouth at scale. Because word of mouth, as we all know, the number one marketing channel. It's a key way to build trust. So as soon as someone loves your brand and loves your business, then do everything you can to help that individual. And I would put Lucy Hall, who is the founder of Social Day, the event into the same camp as well. Both those two, just super helpful with product suggestions, just that support. And without them in the early days, without that kind of support within their communities that they have, we wouldn't have grown that quickly. So yeah. Fantastic. So you've talked about being introduced to people, but how did you find these other people in the first place? Did you go to events? Did you join communities? What advice can you give to people to help them grow their network? Yes, great question. So meeting, well, Colin, who ended up being my mentor, I can't say that was any more than luck, to be honest. But with the others that became supporters of Content Cal, yeah, everything you just said, Nikki, is what our approach was. Hopefully, in in the kind of post-COVID world, we'll get into a position where we can go to more events and meet more people because that's essentially how it all happened. I joined every single social media community I could find on Facebook, commented on every single conversation on Reddit, set up Google alerts for every time someone was talking about social media content planning. Every time I saw a YouTube video that looked relevant to our space, I wrote to the YouTuber that created it to strike up a conversation. Whether you can meet them in person or just online, it doesn't matter. But Mm -hmm. having all of these conversations, that really is the key differentiator. Everyone knows that 
you should take this approach. But what I've noticed is that lots of people just want to shortcut the approach. So I'll give you an example of something else that was transformative and how I met someone and helped them into becoming an advocate of us over time. The key difference is, actually, I'll give you a bit of a story. So we hadn't started marketing content cal yet. And I was just searching like the search terms and that someone might typically be searching for either our competitors with or our category. And I remember searching like Hootsuite pricing because obviously, you know, high intent, right? That would be the key one for us to rank for. Obviously, ranking for something like Hootsuite pricing organically on your content cal page is, you know, that is a massively long-term ambition. We don't have that time. We're a small business startup and our, you know, our cash will run out before we rank on page one. So one of the first results, actually, which was even above Hootsuite's pricing page, was an article written by a chap called Ian Anderson Gray, which is seven reasons why you shouldn't use Hootsuite. Immediately, I looked at that. I was like, oh, wow, how I wish we could be featured on that, because he did call out like alternatives to Hootsuite as well. So I was like, wow, that's a high value place for us to be. And whereas typically what I've seen, and I've been on the receiving end of this now, so many people write to me every day to say, oh, can I be featured on your blog? Or here's a link. Can we share links and all that kind of stuff? So many of those outreaches every single day. And, you know, they all go in the junk. And Ian had the same thing as well, because when you've got a high ranking website, all and sundry want to be part of it. So all I did was message Ian through his site and just say, you know, you've done incredible things with your SEO. I love how much you know about social media marketing and the industry and the tools. I'd love to just buy you a coffee one day and sit and have a chat with you about it. So he was accepting of that. And I drove three hours to Manchester just to take him out for a coffee. And then that became the start of a friendship of which, you know, I didn't ask for anything straight away. It's a point of building a relationship. But that relationship then over time, because it's quid pro quo, so we can help him out, he can help us out, etc. He ended up featuring us on the website. It still is one of the biggest drivers of traffic to Content Cal today. And we've ended up doing lots of other stuff together. And it's all about kind of leading with generosity, having striking as many conversations up as possible, because really a business is only as good as the community that underpins it. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And I think if we're building Content Cal again from scratch, I'd have doubled down on that even, even more. For for the obvious reasons. I love what you're saying. And I think what that highlights as well is that you have to be prepared to make the extra effort. What you said about driving three hours to Manchester to take Ian Anderson Gray out for a coffee. I was having the same conversation with Andrew and Pete on a call yesterday. And they were talking about how to be featured on podcasts. And they were saying one of their strategies was to reach out to people, sometimes on the other side of the world, and just say, can we buy you a coffee? And then, you know, sometimes it took weeks or months, but they made it happen and they got the results and that was key to their growth as well. So I think sometimes we can, I think you said this already, we can overcomplicate things as marketers, can't we? Whereas all it comes down to at the end of the day might just be buying somebody a cup of coffee. Pretty much it. (laughs) If you want to distill it down to the bare bones of it, then that is really what it comes down to. So you have previously talked about being able to create a week's worth of content in 30 minutes. Can you quickly share some insights with our listeners as to how they might go about doing that? Cool. So this is supposing that you have a true understanding of who you're trying to serve, first and foremost. And so before I get into it, I just want to kind of do a quick call out to say, you know, before you create anything, you need to have a clear understanding of who is on the receiving end of that 
And for my own personal viewpoint is that you should target one audience and one audience only. And for me, for most businesses in the early stages, I'd consider this your minimum viable audience. Go as small as as niche as possible to sustain short-term growth for your business. So minimum viable audience is a term I've stolen from Seth Godin, but it was hugely, hugely transformative, this approach in content house growth. And it is, you know, for any business that's early stages in doing this. And it means focusing truly on the needs of a small audience that you can truly understand the, the challenges, their pain points, what keeps them up at night, those emotional drivers. And, you know, sometimes we talk a bit about like persona documents and I often poke fun at like, you know, typical customer personas, which are based on like demographics of like, I don't know, a typical customer is like Susan, 35 from Brooklyn in New York and has a dog, you know. That typically is what marketers think of, which is just utter nonsense. When you think about the emotional drives of an audience, you can talk and tell a much better story. So there's a quick call out to say, make sure you understand their pain points. Make sure you've got a laser focus on your target audience. Yeah, psychographics over demographics every, every time. So once you've got that, you've got the story, story nailed on. Then your job is doing that customer discovery mode. So speaking with that target audience, understanding those challenges and pain points, because then you're going to be able to come up with themes. Because that is really the themes are your guiding principles for your content strategy. Because if you can take all of the guesswork out of, you know, what am I going to post on Monday or Tuesday or whatever? When you know that Monday is about ideation, Tuesday is about workflow, Wednesday is about news or whatever, those topics and those themes, you might call them pillars or content topics, I don't know, what, however you call them, but basically they're your main pillars of your strategy. Every single day, you now know what your kind of core focus is. That takes a lot of the cognitive load out of what you're going to post on any single day. Then what you should have is a content library or content bank. I mean, we built something in Content Cal called the Content Hub. But wherever you have this, you just need to have it somewhere where this is a repository of inspiration that you can call on whenever you need. Because essentially, all you're trying to do is connect two things together. We're trying to connect our themes with a whole bunch of ideas that we have in a repository and a library somewhere. And those ideas might have come from things that you've saved across the internet that you've discovered. You know, that's why we built something at Content Cal called the Web Clipper. So whenever you find something online, you can just snip an article of that. Also, getting contributions from other members of your team, whether it's your clients, other individuals in the business, whomever. And that allows a lot more kind of richness and diversity to your content because you're getting ideas from other individuals. And like for the same reason, we built a feature in Content Cal to do this, which is called Contributions. But you could do the same with a Google form as well. Basically, we want to have a funnel of ideas going into this library because ideas, you know, they don't come you know, when we need them to or when we want them to. They just come in the moment. It's our job to collect them in that library. Now, all we need to do to then speed up the content creation process is just do a couple of things. We look at our schedule that we've got laid out for the next week, of which is laid out where each day has a certain topic that drives the focus for the day. We look at our ideas and think, well, how does some of these ideas, how will that route into this topic of, I don't know, news or content ideation or content workflow, whatever the topics that you're working to are. So that then speeds up the process immeasurably. Then we can also further speed up the process by looking in our previous top performing content as well, looking at the things that have worked well, delivered the right results for us, 
And those right results might be different. It might be, you know, we're looking to drive engagement. We're looking to drive clicks to a website. We might be looking to drive impressions on our content. Whatever metric that you're looking at, look into your analytics, doing your detective work, as you spoke about earlier, and then taking that content and reusing and repurposing that content, not being afraid to take a different spin of that content. Posting the same thing exactly is a bit frowned upon, but taking a new spin on the same thing that's absolutely fine. It's repurposing is, is a core part of our strategy. So 20% of our content should always be repurposed, really. So that helps us understand and leverage some of our best performing stuff, which once again, that's going to speed up the content creation process. And I, I could carry on for a long time, but I think for your core, having your themes laid out, every day is governed by one. You have a well of ideas that is constantly populated from a whole bunch of sources, along with your top performing content of previous weeks. Those three things together will conspire to speed up your content creation process. And you won't struggle to do a week's content in 30 minutes, even if you just have those three parts together. Do you know, Andy, I've been sitting really enjoying chatting with you today, and you've delivered so much gold that I'm definitely going to be listening back to this episode myself. Thank you so much for sharing so generously. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And I will, of course, share all the links to Content Cal and the resources in the show notes. It's evident your passion for social media comes across loud and clear. And I have absolutely no doubt that Content Cal is going to go from strength to strength. Take care. Thank Thanks, Andy. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. What an amazing conversation. I'm sure that you will agree with me that Andy Lambert is an absolute wealth of knowledge and knowledge that he's happy to share generously. And what really pleased me was that our thinking aligns on so much when it comes to marketing in terms of being a joiner, growing your network, making the extra effort and crucially maximizing your results using organic marketing before you try and convert people using paid ads. I love that episode. I'm sure you could tell. And I'm absolutely convinced that you will have got a lot from it too. I'd love to hear your biggest takeaways from this episode. Please, as always, drop me a DM on Instagram. That's where I hang out mostly on social media. And I always love to hear from you. On next week's episode, off the back of this conversation with Andy... I thought it would be a good idea to focus on how to understand your customer better. So we talked a lot today about why demographics are not what you need to focus on and why it needs to be psychographics, the emotions, the problems that people are having, the pain points. I often talk to my clients about the fact that their potential customers need to reach this tipping point where the need to work with them or to buy from them suddenly becomes urgent. So we're going to dig into that next week as we focus on how you can start understanding your potential customers better with a view to making more sales. So I'll see you then. 